And I want to talk to you about really big God, and I want to speak on the fear that fuels your future. Take out your Bibles. If you've got a Bible, got a paper Bible? Anybody in the house, all locations, hold them up. Yes, okay. You're going to want to join this crowd very soon. I've got some news to share with you that's going to hopefully motivate you to get a hold of a paper Bible. I've been, I've been beating this drum for a long time, and uh, some of you uh, are holding out, but you're not going to hold out, I don't think, after today. I really don't think so. Um, but anyway, we're going to get into to a message series called Really Big God. Luke chapter 12, if I didn't say it already, it's on your notes as well. Luke chapter 12. Really Big God. Say those three words on the count of three. One, two, three. Really Big God. We serve a really big God. This series is intended to motivate you to be living large because you know that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And we've got a really big plan as a church, starting new locations. We want to start churches all across America. This is in my heart. I believe that the Lord has put this into my spirit, into many of your spirits. Starting churches, this country will go to hell if we don't preach the gospel. And so we've got to go all over the country, not just in the eastern east coast. We want to go all over. And in three weeks, let me hear you say three weeks. weeks. We got a really big offering coming up. And it's the Really Big Things Offering Weekend. Now, can you believe we have 27 weeks of savings? I hope you've been doing this. I asked you 27 weeks ago. I said, look, we're going to start these churches. We're going to start a school here in North Attleboro. And we're going to start a preschool in Apollo Beach in September. And we're going to hopefully start schools wherever we start churches. That's my big, that's my big, big, big plan, okay? So this is just, we did big things during COVID. This is really big things coming in 2027, extremely big things, okay? Yes, and then, you know, uh, 2030, super califragilistic things, right? But anyway, a church and a school, I think we got to do this everywhere we go. So we're going to start it here, and uh, K to fifth grade is in the plans. We've got a, a, a group of people, a team, getting ready to put that together. We're gathering all of our uh, materials and all of our ideas and putting a constitution and bylaws together uh, and making sure that that school is protected um, by the church, that if the school ever starts teaching something that isn't biblical, it shuts down. Yeah. It will not be allowed to operate if it doesn't teach biblical education. That's what we're going to put into the Constitution and bylaws. It's going to be held accountable by the elders, not just me, the elders of our church. And that's how we're going to, I believe, play our part in rescuing the next generation from insanity and indoctrination. So I hope you've been saving for 27 weeks. And even if you haven't and you're like, oh, I kept meaning to do that. That's all right. Just start saving now or give by faith. The plan was to save so that when you give on that weekend, it's no big deal. I've already set this money aside. Here it is. Amen. All right, but prepare your hearts for the next three weeks and through this series to be a part of that offering because it does take money. I wish, I wish, like some of you think, I wish that angels pulled up in a limousine, you know, during the week and said, hey, Pastor Tim, good to see you. You're doing a good job. Here's $3 million. I wish that happened. You know, but this is how God has always worked. He's always worked through the people that he has chosen. And so three weeks from now, you have a chance to be part of this. So 
If you uh, pray and ask God and speak to your wife or spouse about it too, that would be very healthy. And then be ready to give and give joyfully to God. Let's talk about the fear that fuels your future. We're gonna take communion at the end of the service. I'm very excited about that. But I think about fear because fear is such a, a crippling emotion. It's such a common emotion. It was the first thing that Adam and the wife, she wasn't called Eve yet. Uh, she was called Eve after the fall, and Adam named her. Um, that was also a sign of the fall because Adam naming her is him taking dominion over her because you have authority over the things that you name. But anyway, I digress. That the first feeling that Adam and the woman felt after they sinned, anybody want to guess what it was? Fear. Fear. It was fear. They heard the sound of the Lord in the garden, and Adam said, I was afraid, and I hid myself. And ever since that day, mankind has been wrestling with what to do with fear. Now, a lot of our wars are because of fear. Countries feel like they're being encroached upon, so they lash out and fight others. Or people fear what others will do to them, so they strike first. They kind of live, you know, the Cobra Kai lifestyle. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. That's a lot of people in our culture. I'm a big fan of that show, by the way. Anyway, uh, uh, fear is a big-time motivator of our life. Seth Godin, great author. I think it's in your notes there. Or it's not in your notes. No, it's not on the screen now. Uh, your life, he said, is defined by what you fear. Your life is defined by what you fear. A great, well, it, you know, it could be argued that um, a great many of the problems of our culture right now is because of fear of the other. We're a very divided country, uh, left and right, conservative, liberal, very, you know, suspicious of each other. And we're all four days away <laughs> from Thanksgiving where some of you are already fearing going to the dinner with them. Yeah. And you're like, I just hope that they don't bring up the Hamas-Israel conflict. Please, Lord, let's just enjoy some turkey and gravy. You know, fear can cripple you and it can define you. Uh, one of our presidents, the only president we elected four times, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, is known for one great, one great quote. And it is, what is that, what is that quote? Uh, we only, the only thing we have to fear is but nobody reads the rest of the quote because the rest of the quote is really what he's getting at. He said this, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And here's the rest of the quote. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. What is he saying? He's saying fear has the capacity to hold you back in life. Too many churches are afraid of the culture and they're not advancing to win back the culture. Too many, too many Christians, too many churches are afraid of what people will think of them. And so they don't say anything and they don't step up and speak out for God, for the Lord, for biblical wisdom. And they just retreat into their cocoon of safe Christianity. And God is begging. He is imploring. He is calling on the church. Look, a godless culture needs a God-driven church who believe that the gospel will change lives and Jesus is still alive and the Holy Spirit is still active. And I don't want us as a church to ever fall back in retreat. I don't ever want us to shrink back because the book of Hebrews says that we are not those who shrink back, but we are those who press forward and win the victory in Jesus' name. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. 
He leads us, the Bible says, everywhere in victorious triumph in Christ Jesus. What I'm trying to tell you guys is, you're not losers, you're winners. Act like it. Live like it. Parent like it. Be married like it. You're a winner in Jesus' name. Write this down so we can build a case for what I'm about to tell you. Worldly fear. Worldly fear. Not just fear, but worldly fear is the opposing force of your future. It'll hold you back. It'll stifle what, what, what FDR said. Necessary efforts. What's the necessary effort in your life that you have been avoiding? What conversation do you need to have? What job do you need to leave? What what person, this might sound funny, but it's actually very biblical. What, what person do you need to ask out on a date? Young men of Waters Church. Where are you? There's a lot of pretty girls at Waters Church. Ask one of them out. Stay faithful, get married, and help us outbreed the pagans. Let's... Let's play the long game. How about you married people and you don't have kids yet and you're retreating? I don't know if we can afford it. I don't know. Climate change is going to ruin everything. Uh, stop acting like a pagan and start acting like a son and daughter of the Most High God. He will prosper you and bless you. Stop it. You've been dating long enough. Hey, married people without kids, you're still single in my book. That doesn't mean you can get divorced. <laughs> Have babies. Come on, let's play the long game in this culture war. It's not, a cult, it's not a war. It's a campaign of good versus evil. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. We gotta play the long game. Have babies. Stop being afraid is what I'm saying. It'll stifle you. Jesus' ministry in Luke 12 is at the apex is at the apex. Look at what it says in verse one. It says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another. This is Jesus's first mosh pit. <laughs> the word so many thousands is myriads in the Greek. We get the word myriad from it. Tens of thousands times tens of thousands. So many people, it was uncountable. That's how popular Jesus had become. He is ministering around 33 AD. That, 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 that um, matters in just a moment. And so many people wanted to be around Jesus. I, I think about it. Why? Because he was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. He was casting out demons. I, I guarantee you that if Jesus was walking on the earth today doing the same things that he was doing 2,000 years ago, I guarantee you that the most ardent skeptic in your workplace would love to find him and come and have him do something for them. Okay? But Jesus came not to just perform miracles. He came to die for our sins. And he came to call people back to God. Repentance, to turn away from sin and Satan and turn toward God. And that's the, that's the, <laughs> that's the conversation that people don't want to have with Jesus. They want the goodies, but they don't want the godliness. They, they, they want the blessings, but they don't want the beatitudes. <laughs> right? They, 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 they want all the things that God can give them, but they don't want the giver. And we got to get back to what Jesus told us to be about. It's not just living the good life. It's having God in your life. And so many people wanted to be around him. And then um, at the time of Jesus' ministry, when his, it's kind of a, a, a unique parallel event here. Jesus has tens of thousands of tens of thousands of people following him. And at the time of his ministry, there was one group of people, 
one group of people that held sway over the population with iron-fisted grip. And they were the Pharisees. We hear a lot about these people in the Gospels. Do you know why? Because they were a big population. They were the dominant force in Judaism in that day. Dominant culture. And they were very strict. They were very religious. They had funny clothing and funny hats. They would wear things, little boxes on their forehead. They still, not Pharisees aren't around anymore, but they, they still do this in Israel. Men will wear these black boxes on their foreheads and big black boxes on their forearms because the Torah says that you shall write them on your arms and write them in between your eyes, uh, the laws of God. And so they would write them, scribble them out, roll up the scroll and stick it in a little box. And they would, and they would have bigger boxes for the guys with more scripture. So you have little, like, you know, spiritual unicorns Religious unicorns walking around in Jesus' day, like the most insane kind of culture, because they were, at, at one point, they were as dominant as you could be in the time in which they lived. The Pharisees started around 150 BC, and they died out around 135 AD. And so they reached their zenith, listen to this, at the same point that Jesus did. So you had kind of like this clash of. Of, of civilizations, clash of ideologies, clash of kingdoms. This religious in-crowd dominant culture which was influencing the people or the people who followed this itinerant rabbi from Nazareth who was performing incredible miracles and speaking things that nobody had ever heard before named Jesus. And so Jesus says to the people, as tens of thousands times tens of thousands were following because Jesus knew that not everybody in the crowd was really converted. Not everybody in church is really a Christian. So Jesus says to his disciples first, beware of the leaven. Leaven is a symbol of sin in the Old Testament, yeast. And yeast goes throughout the whole lump of dough and it spreads and it infects everything. That's what sin does. He says, beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees. And what is it? He says, it's a hypocrisy. Here's what he's saying. It looks one way, but it's really another. Be careful of that kind of religious lifestyle. And it's kind of funny. If anybody is here, and you say, I am like the least religious person I know. In fact, I don't even know why I came here to this church. I don't even go to church. I don't understand church, and I don't belong here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me just give you a little, little pro tip on studying the life of Jesus. The people who asked for his crucifixion were the most religious people. And the people who loved him the most and held on to him the closest were the least religious people. So if you are here at church for the first time in a long time or the first time ever and you have nothing to do with Christianity, welcome. Jesus came for you. You do belong. Because there's one group of people that really ripped Jesus up and it was the people who claimed to know God and acted like the devil. He says, watch out for these people. Why do we gotta watch out? Because they were the dominant, they had reached their zenith, the dominant culture in the day. And they were trying to control people. In fact, the Bible says that the Pharisees stirred up the crowds to call for Jesus' crucifixion. I wonder who was in the crowd and said, man, he doesn't deserve to be crucified. He doesn't deserve, but the Pharisees were like, no, 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 say it, say crucify him. And they went against their own convictions and said, all right, yeah, crucify him. 
I just think about that. Here's the point that I want to make, and I want you to write it down. In every stage of my life, there will be a dominant culture trying to control you. In every stage. When you're a kid playing, you know, on the playground, not that kids do that anymore, but in my day, we used to go outside and play. And the one that would dominate would be like the big tough kid, you know, the kid who had the, the snarl, right? The, um, what was his name in A Christmas Story? Ficus. Yeah. Dominant culture. When you get it to be a high school area, the, the dominant culture is the party culture, the drinking and the trying some drugs culture or the sex culture or, you know, in, 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 in art in this day, <laughs> the woke culture, you know, the, the, the serious, like I'm jumping on every, you know, ideological, ideological, you know, statement that I need to make on social media culture. And then when you get to college, it's, you know, it's the cool, the, the smart kid culture or the, you know, the, the, the halfwit culture or the drug culture, whatever. And then you get into the workplace and it's the make money culture or or is the make an impact culture or you know all there's always a dominant culture you can live into a you can move into a neighborhood and not even realize on the outside once you're on the inside of the neighborhood there's a dominant culture in the neighborhood you can do that yeah when I moved into one neighborhood I'll never forget that my first visit with my neighbor the first neighbor I ever met she came up to me and she said oh just want to let you know that we all use Scott's fertilizer on our lawn good for you Guess what I did? I used Scott's fertilizer on my lawn every single week. You know, I don't, I, so they controlled me. You know, they, they, they led me. And here's your, if you're not careful, if you don't identify that dominant culture, you'll be susceptible to its influence. And the reason why you're susceptible to its influence is because the tool of their trade is fear. Don't you want to belong? Don't you want to be a part? Don't you want to fit in? This is what Jesus was faced with. And if you got your Bibles open, Luke 12, 2, he says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will be not. No, this is not on the screen, so i got to bring your Bible. He says, in other words, um, what, what you don't see in the Pharisees, you will eventually. What you think looks one way on the outside is actually a different reality on the inside. And then he says this, he says, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. These are hard words. And he says, whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. In other words, nothing that is hidden will stay that way. God is going to reveal what's in men's hearts, either at the last day on the judgment or <laughs> before then. And a lot of times that's what happens when we see a pastor who preaches one thing and he does another. How many pastors, popular pastors, have to continue to do the same stuff before we're like, wow, this is a problem. Or the business leader who looks like a model citizen, but he's insider trading, or he's not paying his taxes, or he's cutting corners, or he's under, you know, paying his employees, whatever. Here's what Jesus is saying about that dominant culture. And listen to me, because this is, this is pure gold. The, 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 the dominant culture that you might, be, you might be scared into following is not really what it seems. That beautiful Woman on the cover of People magazine or Woman's Daily or whatever it is that you ladies might compare yourselves to or you men might lust after. You understand she's photoshopped? You know, if you, if you work hard enough on a picture of me, I could look like her. There's a chance that she's not even photoshopped. She's AI generated now. She's not even real. She doesn't even exist. That nice car that you see the guy down the street driving, 
And you're like, oh, man, ooh, must be nice. Yeah, but you don't see the payment slip that comes in the mail every single month. And he has to tell his kids, sorry, no money for clothes this month. Daddy's got to pay for his Corvette. That, what, you, what you don't realize is the dominant culture is fake. Fake. And this is what Jesus hated. Jesus hated fake. And our culture is filled with fake people. I, I'm a conservative, and I have a liberal friend, and I love this guy, and he's a Christian, and we go back and forth all the time about liberal conservative. And I'm always arguing, and I'm always telling him everything is wrong with Joe Biden, and he's telling me everything is wrong with the other guy. And it's ah, it love. I love that. It helps me stay sharp, helps him stay sharp. I'll never forget, though, the time that I said, time to put out my recycling bin. And he goes, oh, I don't even do that. <laughs> I'm like, what? You, this is your thing. <laughs> you people are the save the planet people. My people are like, let it go to hell. Jesus is going to burn it anyway. <laughs> and I'm the one recycling. And he's the one like, yeah, I just say, you know, save the earth. My word. You ever meet these people are fake. What you see, what you might be influenced in this culture is not what it appears. And so you gotta develop a fear that will fuel your future and not stop it. Because that one will, will stop you. Bishop Fulton Sheen, he said it. He said, if you marry the spirit of this age, you'll be divorced in the one to come. Be careful about what you think is really valuable, what matters. And so I got four questions for every person to ask themselves today. Self-inspection to fuel your future. Number one, write this down. Do I hear his voice? Do I hear his voice? It's not that God isn't speaking. It's are you listening? He wants to say something to you in the midst of your fears. In fact, the favorite thing that God says to people throughout the Bible, 365 times in the Bible, it says, do not fear. The first thing that Mary heard from the angel Gabriel was, fear not. This is kind of God's favorite topic. Don't worry. Don't fear. I'm going to do something, and I got it, and I got you, and it's all going to work out. Just trust me. As you start to think about what you're going to give for really big things, don't fear. Don't fall into, well, if I give this, I'll lose. No, 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 you're not losing anything. You can't lose when you give to the kingdom of God. You invest, and God watches you, and then he pours back into you. So verse four, he says, I tell you, my friends, circle friends, I tell you, my friends. What's the three words after that? Do not fear those who can kill the body. But after that, and how many know there's an after that? Can we get back to old school Christian faith? There's an after that. This life is not the end. Your death is not the end. There is something after this. And he says, and you wanna, you wanna stop worrying about the people who have no authority over the after this. Wanna stop letting them control you. Wanna stop letting them give you all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of depression, all kinds of covetousness or jealousy or envy. Like, stop letting those people be the dominant force in your life. And I love this voice, words, words, because he says they can do nothing after that. And he's talking to his friends. Jesus' friends are those who hear his voice. John chapter 15, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his 
friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. In other words, you've heard me and you do what I say. And then he says, no longer do I call you servants for servants don't know what the master is doing, but I have called you, what? Friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Friends of Jesus listen to Jesus and they listen to Jesus more than this world. If you're saved, you have a radio frequency in your soul that can tune into your father. If you're not saved, you don't have that frequency yet. If you're not a Christian, you don't have the frequency yet. That's why the Bible seems crazy to you. And some of you can remember the moment that this became clear to you. Some of you can remember. Like before Jesus saved you, you're like, well, I don't even know what that book is all about. And then Jesus saved you, and you're like, oh my word. That yeah, makes sense. God is speaking to me now. It's like, you know, when, when you have your first girlfriend or boyfriend in, in high school and, and suddenly all those songs on the radio start to come alive to you. Like, I want to know what love is. That makes sense now. Well, when you get saved, God's frequency tunes in inside of you to this. And you want to get a hold of this more because in this book, Jesus is speaking. Uh, last night's service, we had a lady get baptized, and her testimony was so cool. I hope we play it on a Sunday for you guys. But uh, longtime Catholic and, you know, learned a lot of Scripture from us, way more than she ever learned in the Catholic Church. And she said, look, I now read the Bible all the time. And she said, um, I don't understand everything, but, man, I understand a few things. And uh, that's what you got to do. And some of you got to do this. Enhance your experience with Waters Church. Here's how. Read the Bible on your own. Then when you come to our church and I start to speak on things, God's going to start to reveal because you've already laid the groundwork for your spirit to hear it. You see, this is how you enhance the preaching, right? The people who are saying amen the loudest are the people who are probably reading the most. Because like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, that resonates with me. Yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I love it, too. I love it. Don't you be shy. Don't you be shy. Make them jealous. Make all the non-Bible believers, Bible readers jealous that you, you got it. You got the frequency. You're tuned in. It's in HD. Come on, somebody. All right. So you want to hold on to this more because I got news for you. And I told you I was going to motivate you to get a paper Bible today. Uh, news came out uh, two weeks ago. This is crazy. Legislation is on the table that will give the federal government control of the broadband access that you have to the internet. Nobody is telling you about this. Do you know why? Because the press is no longer free. They are tied to the regime. And they're not even telling you. It's amazing. No one is hearing about it. So the FCC will get control, listen to this, over what your internet service provider uh, charges you, where they install it, and how fast it will be. And what they're really doing is giving the government, this is a, this is a playbook, this is a play right out, of the, right out of the Chinese playbook. They're gonna control what you, and how you get your information. Nobody's, you're like, I can see, there's a deer in the headlights look right now at me. This is actually something that's being argued about in Congress right now. It might pass. And they're calling it, the reason for it is because costs have gone too high and the government wants to help. And it's amazing because the government always fixes problems that it creates. And they call this digital equity, digital equity. So giving the government more control over your 
airwaves means get yourself a paper Bible before. Before. I don't want to scare you. I want to just teach you that this is our playbook. This is our game plan. Have it. Hold it. Meditate on it. Wear it out. Underline it. Circle it. Highlight it. Read it. Turn it on on the car ride into school with the kids. My son, Jake, and I were in the car the other day. I was doing mommy and daddy duty. And uh, I was driving to school. We put on Psalm 101. And we just listened to it again and again. I said, let's, let's memorize this together, Jake. We need to do that with our kids. We need to do that. Can we get back to old school teaching our kids to memorize scripture? You can, like take out the, uh, the, the Bible app and just look at the ones that's verse of the day. You just do this live right now. Verse of the day, what is it? Let's take a look-see. It is Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. How about you go home today and talk about that with your kids? You know, a lot of preachers are complaining, including me, about the kids being on the phones. I got something that's gonna pinch a little bit. The problem's not the kids are on the phones. The problem's that mom and dad are on the phones. Put this thing down. Engage your children. Teach them what you believe. Tell them what we stand for as a family and where we stake our ground. Ooh, I knew that was going to pinch a little bit. Some of you needed to hear it. Psalm 82 says about the rulers of this world. It says they, the gods, the rulers of this world, the gods, the powerful people. What does it say? They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. Some of you are like, I can't understand why they're passing that bill. Because they walk around in darkness. Because they have no knowledge or understanding. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you were gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and you shall fall like any prince. Kingdoms have risen, kingdoms have fallen. Totalitarian governments have risen. Totalitarian governments have fallen. There's one kingdom that has stood the test of time. It's the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Question number two, do I fear God's judgment? Now this one, I can hear some of you in the back of your head saying, oh good, he's gonna talk about how we have to have reverence for God. No, I'm talking about fear. Fear of God is a corrective in your life. Some of you gotta get a hold of this because you've slipped, you've slipped away from the fear of the Lord. He is a God of grace and mercy and kindness and compassion and perfect judgment. Holiness adorns his house. No unclean thing, Revelation says, shall enter the city of Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. It says outside that city are the vile, the sexually immoral, the covetous, the liars, and the dogs. Bad news, dog people. Dogs is, no, dogs is a symbol for people who act one way and live another, hypocrites. So Paul calls them in Philippians chapter three, the dogs. 
Jesus says, do not fear those, verse four, who can kill the body after that, they have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. And Jesus is like, and just in case you missed it, yes, fear him. Fear him. Like, this, Jesus, this is not, you know, you got a big crowd. Like, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't go to the street. I could just see John, John, Peter, like, hey, oh, 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 take it down a notch. Got a big crowd. Got a big church, Jesus. You don't want to be talking about that kind of stuff right now because it's kind of like, you know, not helpful. No, it is helpful. It's helpful. Helping, fearing God will help you live a long life. I got a Bible verse that's not on the screen, but you might want to write it down for later. Proverbs 10, 27. Proverbs 10, 27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the wicked will be uh, cut short. And uh, that's a, it makes perfect sense because uh, when, when you don't fear God, you'll do things that are against what he wants for you, which will always hurt you. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, it says, the fear of man lays a snare, a trap. If you fear people more than you fear God, you're headed for a trap. A trap in your finances, a trap in your marriage, a trap in your parenting, a trap in your singlehood. If you fear people more than God, he says, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is a verse that's so good, you gotta read it in all the translations. The message translation says, the fear of human opinion disables. Some of you, this is what you're doing in life, right? You're walking around like this because you followed the insanity of that friend or you listened to the nonsense of the news channel or you listened to some person who had not your best interest in mind, did not have the mind of Christ, but had the mind of this world. Again, in the New Century Version, I love this. Being afraid of people can get you into trouble, but if you trust the Lord, you'll be safe. The word for snare it says the fear of the, Lord, the fear of man is a snare. Is literally hook in the nose. Some people are walking around like this, and you're just being led in. This is you all the time. Well, my neighbor's doing it, so I'll do it. Well, my friends are doing it, so I'll do it. And listen, single people, if you're afraid of being alone, you might be hooked by the wrong kind of guy, the wrong kind of girl. If you're afraid of losing money, you'll be hooked by cheating and 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 uh, uh, you know uh, imbalanced scales. You gotta watch out for the things that are hooking you, trying to hook you. Jeremiah 17 says, thus says the Lord, curse is the man who trusts in what? Man. Curse is the man who trusts in man. He says, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. In other words, there's nothing to him. He just kind of tumbles. He's a tumbleweed. He just tumbles all over, wherever the wind goes. Ooh, that's what I'm going to do. And he says, look, he says, and he shall not, I'm sorry, he's like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in a parched place. A, a, a dying place, a wilderness, an uninhabited salt land. Verse seven, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who tr whose trust is in the Lord. Fear God and escape the insanity of this world. Let God be your motivator. What does God think about that? Every, everything that we do, big things. I'm not talking about like, you know, what coffee should I buy, but big things. What does God say about that? James says, look, don't go and say, well, here's what we're going to do. In a year, we're going to move there and make business, and da-da-da, ba-ba-ba. And he says, no, don't. It's foolish to even say that. You should say, if the Lord wills. What does God have to say about this? Some of you got to learn how to do that on a regular basis with your life. What does God have to say about this thing that I'm thinking about or I want? 
Because Jesus says that you gotta fear him who can cast you into hell. Let me get some doctrine out that some people don't even know. The devil is not in charge of hell. He's not. The, you think that he's down there with a pitchfork and he's like, I can't wait to come up there and get you. That is, you got that from Tom and Jerry, not the Bible. Jesus is in charge of hell. The Bible says in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth. And listen, under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know what's gonna happen in hell? People who hate God are gonna be in misery saying Jesus Christ is Lord and I'm in misery because Jesus has the keys of hell and death and he rules there as well as in here. You gotta put your fear in him. Let him call the shots in your life. I said this the first Tuesday and I wanna say it again. Some of you gotta go to the movie theaters and watch after death. And don't just go alone. Bring a friend. Actually, we're gonna play it here in December. What date? You don't know, Shane. <laughs> December 7th? Check the calendar. Because we will be playing it here in Apollo Beach and in Norwood. Um, bring someone. Bring someone. I was at a restaurant last night. I know this guy's not saved. And he was talking about movies with me. And I said, you know what movie you need to see? Go see After Death. And what I love about it is because it's a Christian movie, but it's not preachy at all. It's really good. Some people need to be scared. Huh? Thank you, Elder Doug. December 15th. <laughs> December 15th. Here. And bring a friend. Bring someone with you. we got to get back into business here. Hell should motivate us to love our neighbor. To say, come, come to church with me. The fear of God should motivate us to reach out to someone who's on the way there. And we don't rejoice over people going to hell. We weep. We cry. Our hearts should be burdened. And, and, and you say, I know my heart is burdened for my son, for my nephew, for my cousin, for my grandkid. I get that. But they're all God's kids. He weeps over every single one. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Not one bit. Say, so why would God create a place where he would send people to hell? It's for the people who don't love him. Where else can they go? We are eternal souls. And some of you here today, you got to do business with God. And you got to come out of the fires of hell today. Today is your day of salvation. Today is the day for God to transmit you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. Number three, do I realize God's concern for me? And I love what Jesus does here because he's all about talking about fear him who can cast you into hell, fear him, fear him, and then like on a dime he turns and he's like, okay, now let's talk about how much he loves you. That's how Jesus ministers. He says in verse six, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Now, Matthew's gospel says, are not two sparrows sold for one penny? Oh, you say, oh, that's a, there you go. Found a biblical contradiction, wrong. They had markets just like ours. You could buy two for one or five for two. It's kind of like Costco. 
And so he says, uh, these sparrows, they're sold for two pennies. A penny is the smallest amount of money that you can, um, that you can, uh, that you can pay in that day. And he says, and not one of them is forgotten by God. Now, let me just unpack a little bit of cultural baggage for you that there's a song we sing about the sparrows in the church. And some of you know it. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he's watching me. Yeah? Okay, well, we kind of like elevate sparrows because of that song. But in Jesus' day, sparrows were like the cheapest food you could buy. They were like Taco Bell. <laughs> Come on, how many know you can survive on Taco Bell every week for three bucks? <laughs> two tacos for one dollar or five tacos for two dollars. You know what I'm talking about? His eye is on the taco. <laughs> so you gotta understand what, what Jesus is saying here. The most minute details of life he's aware of. And then he says, why even the hairs on your head Verse 7, are numbered. Some of you, it doesn't take them much time to number them, but <laughs> the average is about 150,000 hairs. God has them all numbered. This is Jesus revealing the Father to us. And then he says, again, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Because here's, here's, here's where some of you are right now. You're wrestling. You're like, yeah, but if I listen to God and then I upset my mom and dad, you know, what's going to happen to me? Fear not. As much as mom and dad value you, your heavenly father has placed infinitely more value on you. And listen to me. Listen to me. Let's go a little deeper. As much as mom and dad know you, your heavenly father knows you even better. You can trust him. Write this down so I, I know you're hearing it. God knows every detail of my life. He knows every detail. If he knows the hairs on my head, he knows where I belong. He knows where I should be. He knows what I should do. He knows what my future holds. He knows my inward being better than even I know my inward being. And because he knows all those things, he can lead me where, he should, where I should be. And that brings me great comfort. As the psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way and the mountains are moved in the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling because we know that God is with us in the moment of our greatest fear. What is controlling you? What are you fearing in life? I uh, had to bring my wife's car in to the shop on Tuesday, and this is something that I always do, because when my wife says, my car is making this noise, or my car is this, I never, ever open the hood. <laughs> it would just be for show. <laughs> just be performative, because I have no idea what that thing's doing. And um, I don't care to know. <laughs> because I found out that if I bring it to the guy who made the car, he does it right. See, this is your body. Your body is a finely tuned instrument created fearfully and wonderfully by Almighty God. Bring it to the manufacturer. Bring your body into the shop. Some of you got to bring it into the shop. Got to bring it into the shop. Instead of the, what the doctor says, what does God say? 
What does the therapist say? No, no, what does God say? Instead of what the educator says, what does God say? I'm not, I'm not devaluing all those professions. They're fine. What I'm talking about, though, is at the end of the day, it's God. God is in charge. Number four, do I have the Holy Spirit? Do I have the Holy Spirit? Now, this is a big question, but we're going to talk about a text that some of you are going to be so happy that I'm addressing this text because this is a text that messes with you. So let's get to it. He says in Luke 12, 8, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before man, the Son of Man will acknowledge me, will acknowledge before the angels of God. That's why you get baptized right there, by the way. When you get baptized, you are acknowledging Jesus. You are identifying with Jesus publicly. And you are saying, I confess Christ. Baptism does not necessarily bring you closer to God. It identifies you that you have already been brought close to God. So he says, if you, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the angels. And he says, but you gotta get over the fear of man. You gotta be, stop being afraid to confess Jesus. Christians, listen to me. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Don't let this world shame you as a Christian. Don't let them you know, put you in your cocoon. You've got to come out and be beautiful in Jesus' name. And I know what some of you are saying, but if I mess up, if you mess up, don't you realize that you have a great opportunity to confess your sins publicly to sinners and say, I shouldn't do that, I'm a Christian. And when you do that, they'll be like, wow. Because like, some of you, that's what you do. I don't, I don't want to be too bold in my faith because if I make a huge mistake, man, I really blaspheme the name of the Lord. No, you make the big mistake and then you turn to me and say, hey man, I, I, I swore or I cursed and I shouldn't do that. I'm a Christian. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Don't you see that that is also witnessing? That's also showing Jesus because you aren't Jesus. You're saved and forgiven by Jesus. And so he says this, uh, confess me before man, I'll confess you before the angels in heaven. And then if you deny me before man, I'll, you'll be denied before the angels of God. And then verse 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But the one who, and here's the phrase, here's the one that I know, some of you are like, oh, thank God, what does it say? Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And I know some of you are like, have I ever done that? I wanna know, so pastor, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? And I'm gonna answer that question right now. And the reason why, the, 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 the simple way that you find out what this passage means is you read, you read the rest of the Bible because it actually happens in the rest of the Bible. Okay, so let's unpack this, all right? Because here's what happens. Jesus is spoken against constantly as he's ministering. He ministers for three years. People curse him. People reject him. The Pharisees at one point said, you're demon-possessed. The people of Israel reject him. When they, when they bring him before Pilate, the crowd says, crucify him. And they say, this man will not be ruler over us. We have no king but Caesar. Blasphemy, 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 blasphemy. Yes? Okay. Jesus said to the disciples on the, on the night before he was crucified, in John chapter 15, he said, when the helper comes, the Holy Spirit, okay, he says, he will, who I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit will tell you and other people about me. So, as Jesus ministered, people spoke evil against him and blasphemed him and told Pilate, crucify him. They did. He was crucified, 
buried, raised to life, brought his blood to the heavenly temple and presented it before the Father. The Father accepted the perfect sacrifice. Jesus came back to earth, said to the disciples, you wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't you move out of the city until the Holy Spirit comes and close you with power. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell and they spoke in other tongues. And suddenly Peter, who couldn't confess Jesus in front of a 12-year-old girl, steps up to the plate and speaks to that crowd and says, you people with your wicked hands ask for a murderer to be released to you, but God has raised this Jesus from the dead and we are witnesses of that and the Bible says their hearts were cut open and they cried out what should we do and Peter says repent and be baptized and the Bible says 3,000 people Acts chapter 2 41 3,000 people were added to the church that day 3,000 from the crowd that 40 days ago said crucify him the people who blasphemed Jesus heard the witness of Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit in Peter and were saved. So when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit is when you reject the preaching of the word. And for that, the preaching of the word about the cross, and for that there is no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness. When you hear the Holy Spirit preach the gospel through somebody as flawed and as insignificant as me, and you resist and you say, I don't believe it, that's not right, that's not true, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But here's the good news. If you've received it, if you've bowed the knee to Jesus, if you've said, yes, I do believe Jesus died and rose again, I do believe he died for me, I do believe I need his blood to cleanse me of all my sin, guess what that means? That means that you have already received the Holy Spirit and he dwells in you, and he dwells in you. Write it down so I know you're getting it. If the Holy Spirit worked in me to believe, he's still working in me to become like Jesus. Some of you, it's time to say yes to this Jesus. I don't know where you come from, and frankly, it really doesn't matter when it comes to salvation. Because if he can save 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost who asked for him to be crucified, he can save you. We got, we got pastors on staff. I got pastors on staff. <laughs> Their testimony is that when they first came to our church, they didn't like me. Jim in Woonsocket is going to hate that I share this because he's always like, I just, it was just that one day, Pastor. But yeah, the first time he came, he was like, I'm not going back. I don't like that guy. And then we got Brandon down in Guatemala baptizing people left, right, and center. He's baptizing pretty much the whole country of Guatemala right now. You know, when he first, when he first started coming, he came hungover and drunk, sat in the back row. And then he would go home and he would mock everything I said. And I, said, I always say, you know, I love it when people come to our church and they mock me and they think I don't know what I'm talking about. And they have all kinds of criticisms. Because, man, the tallest, most ardent sinners fall the hardest when the Holy Spirit chops them down. <laughs> 